0: In a world filled with fast-paced living and constant demands on the aging body, it's easy to forget some of the simplest yet most essential elements of our well-being, hydration and nutrients. As you know, when I'm not in the studio recording a podcast or in the gym or out in the scrub hunting putting rounds downrange, I'm somewhere in the world on a security gig putting in the hard yards ending up on TikTok. So legends that get some, keep me advancing forward Jocko Fuel Supplements. More specifically, I've been smashing the Joco Hydrate sachets, which helps me replenish my electrolytes and other critical vitamins while boosting energy, supporting recovery. Also, just like my kids, my appetite for veggies goes as far as hot chips from the kernel. However, every morning I'll mix a scoop of Jocko Greens, Joco Creatine into water, which helps me supplement my lack of and delivers all the nutrients for better gut health, immune support, cognitive function, and physical performance, and not to mention taste bloody good. So head over to www.getsome.com.au and use the code Zero Limits in Caps for a discount. I'll leave you with this for the day. Hard work, clean fuel, stronger, faster, smarter, better. Let's go five
1: one. 7, it's time for the Zero Limits podcast, hosted by Australian veterans. Chatting with high charging humans with hectic stories from around the world, we'll give you the motivation to take on whatever life throws at you and the kick to complete any goal you set your mind to. Let's go.
0: All right, uh, Shane. On today's uh, Zero Limits podcast, we have another PJ. In saying that, he is now an A10 pilot, which is even better. Fuck yeah! (laughs) Uh, Which is cool, and he was recommended to us by uh, Mike. The, uh, the PJ, yeah, Mike, and as we know, he was just a character—the Mexican surfer that didn't <laughs> yeah. want to get molested by someone else. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, again, mate, uh, I've been chatting with uh Jason AT. Yep, he again was a PJ now a ten pilot, and here he is. Let's let's have a chat with him. Bang. Welcome, Jason. Mate. How are you?
2: Hey, fellas. Hey, thanks for welcoming me to the show. I appreciate it, and looking forward to it. I got my. Uh adult beverage here and a little whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> so we're uh, yeah. Ready, ready to start the chat.
0: Yeah, that's it. You know, I, I, you know, I can't let really you drink by yourself,
1: so I've got a bottle of Glenfinish. And just um, everyone at home, it's 10, 20 in the morning here in Newcastle, Australia. So Matt's having a... <laughs> that's the military life, isn't it? Yeah. We're, all, we're all piss
0: wrecks. <laughs> Again, thanks for coming on. And uh, I guess let's just start straight from the start. Where did you grow up?
2: Yeah, absolutely, guys. Uh, so uh, I've been in the military for about uh, 23 years now and I'll kind of get to where my path got me here flying intense. But so, you know, I'd like to say, uh, that I had a cool story where I was a rogue in and out of jail, you know, a judge basically <laughs> talking <me> into going to <laughs> the military, but it wasn't like that was kind of, uh, that guy who always wanted to serve, you know, And I grew up, I didn't have any parents or anything that were, were military. I mean, I had some, you know, uh, second relatives that were, but nobody directly that influenced me. It's just, a. I think I grew up watching, uh, you know, Rambo and Commando in the '80s, and uh, you know, Top Gun. I know you guys referenced that the other day,
0: yeah. and
2: uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I always liked aerospace. I like flying. Uh, I got into, uh, you know, I think I was in uh, sixth or seventh grade. Uh, this this program in the states, it's like a ROTC or Junior ROTC, yeah. And they mind. got me on a. Uh, oh, you guys have a Australia have those tankers as well. So the KC-135, I got on an orientation flight. And I was probably 12 years old and, you know, climbed down the back there to the window and the refueling, like it was an F-16 the first time I got to see it. And I was like, that's so cool. I want to be, I want to fly, you know? So I think that's what got me on the dream of wanting to fly. Um, But I'm I'm from a small town in Indiana, uh, which is, you know, the Midwest and the States. And I, you know, I didn't know really know kind of a poor family. I didn't really have, uh, you know, too much, but I, I wanted to go to college and I knew you had to do that. Uh, So um, I started looking at the, one of the academies, but, uh, you know, I wasn't the smartest at that time and it kind of wasn't for me. So I said, Hey, I want to enlist in the air force. Uh, and, uh, you know, from there, you know, I'll be able to get, we have a GI bill, which is a program that'll help put you through college, you know, and so you just give them the four years and you get your college paid for it. So I got a partial scholarship to uh, Purdue university, which they had an aerospace program and I figured, Hey, I'll go in the air force for four years and, uh, I'll come back and I'll, uh, go do this RTC thing and become a pilot. Well, I said, well, if I'm going to enlist, what's the most badass thing you can do? You know, and uh, one of my buddies was going to seal training, and I knew I kind of thought about the Navy initially, uh, but I knew that the Air Force is where the jets were at, so I wanted to end up. So um, I found out about pararescue, uh, which uh, was, you know, what's the hardest thing you could do? I asked the recruiter and it was like pararescue completely. Uh, so luckily, I had somebody that I knew uh, like locally in my town. Uh, that knew a little bit about it. Cause I didn't know anything about it. Obviously uh, pair rescue or combat controllers, those things were. Um, and I was a wrestler, uh, I swam a bit too. I swam in, uh, you know, middle school and then, uh, wrestled all through high school. So in yeah. ninth through 12th grade, uh, which helped me tremendously, you know, just having that uh, mental toughness and that attitude. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, from there, um, you know, I enlisted my, you know, graduated school, uh, actually, a year before graduating, we have this thing called the Delayed Enlistment Program. I don't know if they still have it or not, but you can join a year before graduating. So you already set up. You know what you're going to do as long as you don't get in trouble, right? Um, you're going off to basic training the, after, the summer after you graduate. So that's what I did. I, uh, you know, I finished my wrestling season and uh, I hit the weights. and was running every day and I think I was getting up swimming. So doing two days, even though I didn't have to, uh, I just wanted to be successful, right? Uh, because I knew it was you know, this, this high attrition rate. Yeah. I didn't know how bad it was, you know, guys, you've seen all the movies, you know, the you know, the Navy SEAL movie with Charlie Sheen and Steven Seagal with the knife. (laughs) We were talking about that
1: earlier. Yeah. Uh,
2: (laughs) Something like that. Right. So that's kind of, kind of where I grew up and uh, I just headed off to training from there.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Was your family, uh, military oriented as well as in your dad? No. So
2: like I said, nobody directly, um, my grandfather was for a little bit, but, uh, it wasn't like a career or anything yeah. like that. It wasn't, uh, now I, I did find out recently, my wife and I have done some like research, you know, cause like, you know, that ancestry.com yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, that yeah. I had some, had some family that was in world war Two, but, uh, you know, not directly. didn't know, know who they were or anything like that. So it was just, uh, I I don't know, just kind of a all American watching the movies on TV. I'm like, I want to go (laughs) do that. Right. Um, and some of the kids I went to school with turned out the exact opposite. You know, they're losers in jail, you know, two-time And I don't know what propelled me that direction. Uh, I had a few good mentors. Don't get me wrong. I had, uh, when I was a cadet, I had this guy that, uh, you know, that just, he kind of got me on the right direction. Uh, he, he got me on that first flight. He got me on, we have these little uh, Cessnas, got me on my first few Cessna flights. And uh, I kind of just fell in love with aviation. I remember the first time I saw A-10s, I didn't know I wanted to fly them, it, but uh, I was probably, I was at one of those cadet camps they had. Uh, we were down at Fort Campbell, or not Fort Campbell, I think it was uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky, you know where the gold's at. Um, <laughs> and we were up on this, we're up on this hill. Uh, this is the 90s. And they had, uh, the A-10s were still green at the time. And it was, uh, you know, it was a, uh, Late spring, early summertime, and we're watching and we, you can, you can hear the noise of them shooting, but you don't know where they're at. And then all of a sudden this one just pops over a hill. Uh, it was actually below us. We were on this observation point and I thought it was the coolest freaking thing ever. Um, but at that time I was still kind of brainwashed. I thought, you know, you got to fly F-14s to be like Maverick and Goose, uh, or, or the F-15, like Iron Eagle. Remember that movie? <laughs> yeah. With, uh, yeah. So you just hop in a simulator and you just go fly an F-16. You no. Know, uh, so I didn't know what I wanted to do, but um. So then at uh, you know, the school, kind of took me into enlisting, you know, and uh, joining the Air Force.
0: Yeah. So you joined uh, the summer of uh, 1998, and uh, after basic training, entered into the pararescue uh, indoctrination. Training? How'd you how'd yeah. you how'd you find out? Obviously, we spoke to Mike about it, and you know he he loved it. He was that type of person that just got stuck <laughs> into things. But he was pretty shit at a couple of the things he said. Um, well, so how'd you go? Uh,
2: so didn't know much about. You know, I knew what it what it was. I knew it was difficult. Uh, I knew they did uh, they got to fly. You rescue. You're a medic. Um, for me, at that time, I thought the medicine thing was kind of cool. I was a you know in high school, I, I was a swimmer, so I, I I lifeguarded it for a job. So I already, you know, I was a, not EMT, but I uh, had yeah, basic first aid. Yeah. Uh, I knew that's what I wanted to kind of help people. Right. So, uh, the medical thing sound pretty cool. And I know for a lot of people that, you know, they couldn't stand blood. So they went like combat control. Um, so I went to basic training and it was actually, uh, you know, Air Force basic training, you know, gets, uh, gets a lot of shit, you know, yeah. it's the easy one. Uh, <laughs> and it, and it was actually, um, I mean, really, uh, I got out of shape there because remember I was, I was training two days before I left running, swimming, doing weights, all that stuff. And you get there and all you do is run. uh, And you had these kind of these little narc kids that would just like rat you out for doing like literally lights, lights out. And me and the other guys who were guaranteed contracts to go to pay rescue, we're sitting there doing pushups and doing night workouts in the dorm because we didn't get enough during the day. Uh, And you'd have these people that were trying to kind of narc you out, because they were like, what a good little goody two shoes. I'm going get to get an award for telling on this guy. I'm like, I'm just trying to better myself, man. What are you, what are you doing? But, uh, you know, so I just, I kind of hated the basic training for that. I thought it was easy. And I mean, don't get me wrong. You still, uh, I mean, you learn a lot. You learn the basics of military, but uh, I'd already kind of knew that, you know? Uh, so just be the gray man, kind of blend in yeah. um, and uh, get through it. Right. So I get through that. And then I start the rescue uh, indoctrination course. And actually, it's right there in Lackland Air Force Base, Texas. And basic training is actually right across the street. There's like a highway in between. And then you go to this annex where, uh, you know, it's just kind of out in this woods. And we get there. And uh, the course doesn't start for a few weeks just because of the way the schedule is. You graduate basic and you're just waiting, right? Uh, we get there and initially like the very first day. We're just getting harassed by the upperclassmen. And the only thing I can kind of equate it to is like, um, you know, like a fraternity maybe. So, hey, the upperclassmen, they've already been there. Some of them are in the course right now. Some of them have graduated the course and they're getting ready to go to scuba school or airborne there's waiting on a date so they fuck with you they uh well, is it okay have our cuss, right
0: yeah you. Oh, fuck, fuck it, it. Yeah. Fuck it. Yeah. So,
2: so i remember we weren't allowed to wear our shoes in the building right so we take our shoes off and you run because they had mats out you know wrestling mats they did pt on and they were you had to be mopped so we come outside and our shoes are all lined up and we didn't line them up correctly you know dressed right dress so we couldn't find our shoes and we look over they're all in a tree they had tied our shoelaces like, like oh. a drug
1: <laughs>
2: So literally we formed this human chain, you know, we got all our basic training kids we stink. We're in our fatigues, right from basic training and we're like three high on top of each other's shoulders, trying to get our, your shoes out. I'm sure somebody got hurt just doing that. Uh, but you know, it was, it was a few weeks of just kind of just, uh, drinking from a fire hose, learning everything. Right. And, uh, I mean, there's a little bit of hazing that probably wouldn't, wouldn't go on nowadays. No, but definitely it. Not. You know, it was actually motivating. Right. You know, like, yeah, you're like, ah, I want to be, I want to make it through. Well, then we start the course and, um, At that time, it was a joint pararescue and indoctrination course. So both of us were going through the same one. And it was uh, 10 weeks long. uh, And I think the third or fourth week was hell week. So it was modeled after the SEALS buds. Um, And uh, this is a pre-scuba focused course. So first couple of weeks, uh, the very first day, by the way, you take the PASS test. And they still have that PASS test now. It's just the numbers are different. So the very first day, we start off with like 103 guys. And, you know, like, I don't know, 20, 30 of them just don't make it. They yeah, the right. recruiters lied and said they could swim. They pencil whipped it or they just got out of shape so bad they didn't pass the test. And if they had good attitudes and they were close, they maybe get recycled back. They'd be uh, out of training. But if they suck, they, they're gone and they could be a cook, you know, or, you know, security forces, whatever their job became. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, so I just knew I'd heard stories about that. In basic training, I was like, that's not gonna be me. Uh so I think I I ran faster than I ever ran a mile and a half in my life. Uh <laughs> so it was sixteen hundred meters. Like I think I ran at like less than eight thirty, it was just I right, no, gotta go. Um and uh I did pretty good. Uh but uh started the course and you know the first every week there's an eval, you know, and you have to pass and it gets harder. It's like mile and a half, next week's two, then it's three, four, five, six, whatever. Uh and then the swims get longer. And then I'm sure you had heard uh from Mike, there's the water confidence is probably the yeah. great equalizer,
0: yeah.
2: right? So you know. You have guys where, here I am, you know, I'm a wrestler and I'm running, but I was probably 185, 190 pounds and, uh whatever, whatever is that in kilos, right? So, uh, but, uh, you know, you had guys that come in that look like bodybuilders. You had guys that came in the course that were marathon running, yeah. running Ironman, and, uh, you know, you're like, whoa, how, how am I going to make it if that guy, you know, he's so much bigger. Uh, it's the same thing with the SEALs. You get to the pool, you get in the water, and you find out the water is the great equalizer. <laughs> so uh, people can't tread water or don't like being held underwater or holding their breath, they, what we call waking out, they'll freak out, grab the wall, uh, or they'll just flat out say, I quit. So you got two ways to quit. You can either quit by saying it, ringing the bell, blowing the horn, whatever they have now. Uh, And then the other one is quitting by action. So just refusing to, to go on. Right. So if you're on a ruck march or running, you just stop, they'll give you a warning. You know, if you don't, if you just stand there, I mean, it's the same thing as, I didn't say the words and they'll try to argue it's like, nah, you you quit. You just st- stood there. So, um, so anyway, we get through it and, uh, you know, hell week is crazy. Uh, I think we got like two or three hours of sleep and, and we got a lot of stories just on that, but, uh, we get to the end of it and I think there was 17 of us, 17 or 19 of us. I can't remember offhand, but, uh, we started
1: with like 103. Yeah. Right. So, that's a, that's a big call. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, and, yeah. Well did Mike uh, Mark Mark touch on that, did he? Or no. the arduous. I don't think you touched on too much of that. But it's saying it seems, so, it seems I mean, pretty yeah,
2: hectic. I listened to his and I don't think it I don't think he talked too much about indoc. So I mean no. that's years later, that's where Mike and I went back and we were instructors at the selection course. It yeah. had changed quite a bit, but I mean, and the new one is currently called AMS, so uh, assessment and selection. And it's it's essentially the same thing, you know that the length of time has changed, but it's essentially a selection, right? Uh, now back then, you know, we were working harder than smarter. Now they got you know, human performance people. They got so, you know, exercise physiologists, nutritionists, you know, back then it was just like, carry this log, uh, you know, <laughs> we're going to run six miles. And, you know, uh, I actually got set back in the course. I got a real bad stress fracture. So, you know, like I said, it's a lot of it has to do with attitude. That's my advice. I tell guys today, so I was like, Hey, have a positive attitude and be able to laugh. You know that goes a long way. When I was an instructor years later with Mike uh, at that course, I would have guys that would fail something, but you could tell they had the right attitude. I would take a guy that failed by you know one second on a run, or he missed it by two pull-ups, uh, yeah, and then set set him back to the next class. Versus a guy that was a stud but had a cocky, shitty attitude that you just like, I don't want to work with that guy. You know. Yeah. So um, anyway, after there we go to scuba school. Uh, I went to the uh, the. The one down in Key West, uh, it really? was a fucking blast. I will tell you, I've been to Key West <laughs> several times in my life. Um, that was the spring of '99, and oh. it just happened to coincide with um,
1: <laughs> spring, break. spring
2: break. Oh, fuck <laughs> yeah. And I am from a small town in Indiana. I'm talking like cornfields, you know, I'm not even 21 yet, yeah. And we walked <clears throat> down there on what's called the Wall Street, which is the equivalent of uh you know, Mardi Gras, the quarter right there. And, you know, I'm seeing stuff that would be, you know, on HBO, Skinamax series type stuff that's just freaking me out, right? You know, I mean, we're working hard. Don't get me wrong. There's a, you're running six minute miles in the morning. You're doing, uh, you're getting harassed. You're doing pushups with twin 80 tanks on with, you know, flutter kicks, you know, with your fins on, uh, people are, are falling out, even though, even though we'd had such a great uh, selection course, you still lose like one or two guys. But I will tell you, we had a reputation for the pararescue guys of having – so when I was at in NDOC, they didn't want to send anybody to SCUBA uh, that couldn't make it um, yeah. because you're going to an Army school, right? Uh, so it's Air Force guys. You know they're going to make fun of you. They're going to be like, hey, Air Force, give you a little bit of shit, a little bit of <laughs> hazy. Uh, so our thing was, hey, we don't want to lose anybody. We're going to, we're going to smoke them. We're going to PT. And we did. We, we came down now that we were younger than half the guys. Um, the SF guys at the same time, they didn't have the uh, 18 X-ray program at that time. So it was older SF guys and we're better. Uh, usually senior rangers you were going in with as well. But uh good time down there. Um, open circuit, closed circuit. Then I went to Airborne, which is just a, you know, just get through it. It's a, uh, you know, it's an army program, uh, the old round parachute. Uh, then I went off to the military freefall, which is a lot more fun. That yeah. was a gentleman's course uh, down in Yuma, Yuma Arizona. Um, got to do the wind tunnel and whatnot. Um, and then I went to the uh, what's called the Somsi, the uh, Special Operations Medic course. And I know uh, Matt, you're a you're you're a medic, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're still in training.
2: Well, so same thing, mate. So we um, we down there. And we it's a longer course. This is a joint course with the 18 deltas. Yeah. So the uh, Special Forces medics uh Navy seal corpsmen, uh ranger medics we're all there it was just a long program and it was a uh, it was excellent i mean we were doing everything to include uh dental stuff you know yeah, you're like, on. you got a guy in the field you know busts his tooth up how do you make a, a patch right so uh uh bar none some of the best medical training that i ever had in my life was there and uh you know it's a long course it's a yeah, they make it difficult but uh, it, it's worth it right yeah so good training um and then uh, survival school, which is, you know, get through it 17 days, kill a rabbit, you know, uh, you know, you go to hostage where they beat you a little bit, slap yeah. you around. Um, but, you know, they're not going to they're not going to kill you. They're not going to break anything. Permanently. Yeah. So uh, it's not like G.I. Jane where, you know, you know, some guys punching you in the face and some chicks like my dick. So, you know. That's all Hollywood bullshit. I mean, it's like that kind of shit. Even, you know, I don't even know if that happened like back, back in the sixties. No, you know, somebody go no to jail for that shit. But uh yeah, that was I mean, it was it was pretty easy, but I mean good training, don't get me wrong. Um, but uh no big deal. And then pararescue school was another, you know, so that's where you kind of came everything came together. Yeah, gotcha. Uh we did uh all the all the training and tactics, but uh yeah, so that ended up being about 18 months. Yeah. And then from there you get to you get to your first unit. And uh, you're just a, you're a new guy. You're a FNG, you know, just a, you know, so you still feel like you're a stud. You made it through all this training, and then, Hey, welcome to the team. You're brand fucking new. Yeah. Uh, and you you mess up a bunch you end up digging a lot of foxholes or, uh, marching from gate to gate and carrying a lot of heavy shit, but, uh, uh it's, it's, not a bad time. Yeah. Right. Uh, I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. So, and then in uh, July of 2000, you were assigned to the 23rd, uh, special tactics squadron in Florida. Yep and then uh, obviously throughout that time you know prior to you know the 11th of September uh, 2001 you were just training obviously just maintaining your uh position skills. as a PJ yep yeah, as a, your skills as a PJ yes
2: yeah, so, so i was lucky uh you know you fill out a dream sheet um what you want your preferences and i put down florida cuz i was like hey I'm, I'm from the midwest i never been down to the ocean other than like one vacation so i wanted to i wanted to try it out and uh, i got lucky me and uh, two other guys in my class got assigned there so uh, it was pretty cool going down to florida so as soon as i got there though they sent me to alaska to do glacier training <laughs>
0: that's the military <laughs> awesome. man so awesome.
2: you have got this uh as a pj you have this huge list right so like i said you're you're fng Soon as you show up and you have this list of uh, task items that you have to you complete, right? So, you know, like small unit tactics, you know, shooting, you know, grenade launcher, M4, M9, blah, blah, blah. You know, and then a couple of them are like ice climbing crevasse <laughs> rescue, you know, snowshoeing and you're, you're in Florida. It's the summer. So where are you going to go for that Alaska? Yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you what uh, my Alaska trip, I was up there for about a month. Uh, absolutely phenomenal. I almost actually got out of, the active duty to join the Alaska guard because yeah, I loved it so much. Oh, and man. I don't know how much you guys know about how pararescue is, uh, is structured, but we've got these uh, special warfare or special tactics units that are active duty. Right. And we have even some guard ones, but then we have these just what they call RQS rescue squadrons. And that's what Mike was. He was a rescue squadron and Patrick. Well, the busiest by far is in Alaska. Um, they are pretty much, you know, like the local ambulance coast guards yeah. at that time was 2000 when I was up there. And, you know, it was before cell phones were big. So they had pagers like doctors. And if you were on duty, you, you couldn't drink, you know, you had to be within 30 minutes or whatever. And those guys were getting, I think, you know, 170, 180 rescues a year. So, I mean, that's rescues. So sorties more than that, they were flying everything from jumping into the ocean to save a Japanese fisherman to, you know, rescuing some Russian sailors to, you know, going out on a glacier to some hikers. Uh, So it was a, it was a pretty cool time. Um, Yeah. And, uh, so Matt, you're a, uh, you're a jumper, right? Yep.
0: Paratrooper. Yep.
2: Yep. So uh, I jumped into Malamute DZ up in Anchorage, Alaska. I did a jump. While I was up there and, uh, the drop zone controller, There's usually like a drop zone. Yeah, medic, yep. Right. So you guys remember yep. that, uh, they're prepping all the kit to go out and then we're going to the bird and I see him loading a shotgun and I'm like, <laughs> well, why do you need a shotgun? <laughs> and he's like, for the grizzlies on the drop zone, man. <laughs> and I'm like, you're fucking kidding me. You're, you're messing with me. Right. And he's like, No. Uh, no shit there's grizzlies on the drop zone so that he's like land near the pi the point of impact you don't want to land off deep or far away you want to land close to the trucks uh and he That's wasn't correct. shitting man so we saw a uh, black bear i didn't see a grizzly but i saw a black bear and i saw a moose up there yeah and i don't know if you've ever seen a moose but it's a big animal yeah you don't want to go you don't want to anywhere near it because if it just charges you uh it'll it'll screw you up <laughs> 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 and the other thing is it's right there in the water. So we jump out and we're not wearing dry suits or nothing, you know, or, you know, so I'm thinking, what if we land off DZ and you're, you know, it's in the water. This is like, I think the fall. Uh So it's, what's the North, of North Pacific it's freezing, you know, you'll yeah, yeah. last very long. So, yeah. So that was a good time. Yeah. Um, other than Alaska, I did a bunch of other training. So uh, yeah. I was a, I went and got some paramedic ride-alongs in New Orleans, which is crazy. That's cool.
0: Yeah, um, fucking sick.
2: I saw some really brutal stuff down there. Actually, I was down there for Mardi Gras doing paramedic rotations. Uh, just, just really raunchy stuff and good trauma. Um, that's why we do it, trauma rotations. We do that pretty much every year. Go down there, guys get current. Uh,
1: yeah, right
2: rope rescue technician stuff. Um, another winter su- war- warfare, winter Warfare Survival School. Uh, just a bunch of other training, a bunch of exercises with the Rangers, with the with some SEALs, with some SAS guys, just, just doing some uh, exercises. Cause you know, this time you got to think, and this is what I tell a lot of the young guys now is I, I went through a generation where everybody was pretty much at peace, you know? So all the guys who are my instructors who were training, you know, some of them may have seen Grenada or Somalia, uh, you know, maybe a little bit in desert storm, that hundred day war, or whatever it lasts, but for the most part, None of them had, you know, this two decades of being at war in Afghanistan, Iraq. They weren't a part of that. So yeah. we were just training and that was normal. And so Southern uh South America Southcom was our area of operation. So most of our guys were speaking Spanish, they were going to Puerto Rico, Bolivia, Colombia, those types of things. And then uh then September 11th happens and uh, yeah, like said that you know everybody knows where they were at.
0: Again, like this is just the recurring thing with every yeah. podcast we've done, yeah. September 11, 2001 just changes the Absolute fucking ball game for you, me, Shane, every military around the world. So where you know, let's let's. Obviously, you can remember that day. So where were you?
2: Yeah, so uh, me and another guy, a combat controller, uh, his name's Jason Kemp. We had just finished uh, doing some PT. We actually did a run, swim, run. So uh, Herbert Field is right there on the on the Sound in Florida. So we'd run down uh, to the uh, across the. uh, There's a bridge that crossed the highway. And then you could swim across the uh, sound. There's like a parallel to the ocean there, and I don't know what it was. You know, 800 meters out, 800 meters back to the island. So we we you know run a couple miles down there, do the swim, and then run back. So we had just done that, uh, and we had showered up uh, back at the squadron, and we let's go get some chow, right? So they had a uh, chow hall. We're sitting over there eating breakfast, and I think it's about you know 8:30, 9 o'clock, something like that. I don't remember what time exactly what it was, but uh, we it was on the TV. You know, we just see it on the, t- uh, The you know, first one hit like something's going on. we got to get back to the squadron. So we get back to the squadron and we had the central location, in the squadron, the, kind of the, the operations desk, if you will. And uh, I remember they had every course, everything was on the TV. We saw the next one hit. Um, and at that time, you know, everybody had kind of congregated around and my boss comes in and uh, this guy's retired now, a uh, fucking stud, uh, just a game changer in the special tax community. The guy's name was Kurt Buller. Um, you know, he's a retired colonel now, but uh he comes in and he's like, uh, pack your bags, boys, we're going to war. Like he like you you knew you had that feeling. And this is a guy that everybody at that time, like I totally respected. I mean, he's an Air Force guy. Uh, All-American wrestler, went to, uh, you know, Ranger School as an Air Force guy, to, Was took honor grad, you know, like he's just a hard, hard as woodpecker lips type of fucking dude it was always quoting like gates of fire and stuff like that. So, um, you know, when Kurt came in there and said that he was serious and everybody knew that he was just, it was, it was uh, kind of shocking. Everybody's yeah. quiet. Um, now we already had a, a contingency kind of response because of our, our uh, operations in South America and whatnot. So we, everybody had a locker. You know, we have a big team room and a cage room. Everybody had like, I don't know, eight by eight foot cage, so three meters by three meters, whatever And uh, you'd have uh, all your kits in there, like your dry bag. You know, if you, you go in your water bag, your body armor and your helmet and everything. But it was it was real. Like, everybody kind of ran out. You know, there was no direction right away, but everybody just knew what they had to do, and they were getting shit done. I mean, you had support guys just going am- – they did need inventory ammo, but they were doing it anyway – you know pallets were being pulled out uh, that night at the base you know i'm sitting here air force special operations command pretty much the headquarters you know we stayed there until about seven eight o'clock that night uh you know of course the pentagon had happened at that point and then the uh, the last the flight that crashed and so we, we knew we knew it was serious uh the the skies were quiet you know um it was pretty crazy so uh, my wife's obviously, uh, on base, we live in base housing at this point and she's prior army. She'd gotten out and, uh, we're, you know, we just had our first kid and to get to where she lived though, you had to leave the main base, go off into civilian, you know, kind of the, uh, yeah. off into town and then it goes to another gate. So I finally leave and I, you know, I go through the gate and, uh, it's just crazy trying to get back in there. They've got a machine gun nest at this point, you know, everybody's it's, crazy security. And this is just to get into the housing. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, get there, I go home and I basically pack up all my clothes, you know, oh. underwear, toothbrush, everything. I don't have for the squadron. And then I go back to the squadron and I wait. Uh, so about 10 o'clock that night, she's with me at this point. And, you know, of course she's freaking out. My family's calling, they're freaking out. We don't know. We don't know. Um, and I, everything I needed, I packed up that night. So, so the night of September 11th, and it sat there for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so, God. I went home the next day I come in and and I told my wife, I go, the gate's already crazy. So I'm going to ride my bike. I had like a mountain bike and I'm glad I rode my mountain bike in there. It took like an hour and a half to get through the gate. Uh, if you didn't, if you weren't like a pedestrian, uh, so I could ride right up. And then the guy checked my ID, but they were checking, you know, everybody's trunk under the hood, underneath the car. Nobody knew what was going on. Yeah, It's crazy. Um, so I think it was another, you know, two or three weeks, we got a tasking within probably a week and a half, but we were waited on airlift to get over overseas. But we were in country, uh, the very, like, I think the first or second, I have to pull it up on the little chart here, but the, uh, of October. Uh, so not Afghanistan, but one of the stands just North we were there. Yeah.
0: yeah. Right. So just straight into it, you know, it's, uh, yeah,
2: here I am. I'm, I'm barely 20, you know, I'm just turned 21, you know, just a few <laughs> months ago, I had my first drink, <laughs> uh, legal there. drink. Yeah. My, uh, yeah. legal uh, drink. It's, it's a little bit different, but, uh,
0: straight into yeah. a war zone. So, um, look, like just you on the very first military helicopter that flew into Northern Afghanistan.
2: So, yeah. And so I was looking at the, the, I was actually looking at the dates there. And I think it, I'm pretty sure it's the first, or at least the first shock yeah. uh, going in, or at least with, uh, with uniform wearing guys. Yeah. Uh, so the first couple of days of October, um, we were at a base in uh, North of Afghanistan and it was just, uh, it was real bare bones. I mean, it was, but the cool thing is it's one of my favorite deployments in the entire military, right? Because I mean, you guys, I mean, in you know, Australia, you guys, you, you felt it as well. The world felt it, right? Everybody was united in a common purpose. There was no like, well, should we should be. I mean, we were all there. We knew that we could die. We didn't know. It was the fear of the unknown, but at the same time, it was excitement.
0: Right? Yeah, of course.
2: Uh, I remember that first, you know, we get this base. There's no food. Uh, there's no showers. There's no bathrooms. Uh, we, we had to dig holes for latrine
0: yeah you know we
2: for so first few days you get there you're just moving in you're like when are we going when are we going so it's the fifth special forces group task force 160th a couple gunships and it's us and then basically a, a few little support elements but that's it i mean we brought our own mres we brought our own cots we brought our own uh water we had our own batteries everything that we needed we brought with our squadron there was no go to supply and get that everything came with us on the c-17 we flew in on so our own bullets everything and i thought it was actually real efficient and this is one of my gripes that i'll I'll talk about a little when more and more people showed up i call them the rock people uh you know they they actually made things more complicated you know, I go, what is your, you know, we're, we're, we're getting launching on an alert one we had a guys that were hurt for Kazabak. as is months, like December, I think. And there's more, there's like three, four times the amount of people at the base now. And there's this guy, he's laying rocks and we're trying to tow out this, you know, MH 47 so we can take off. And he's just, oblivious to the point that we're you know he's the rock guy and he's got to put rocks down for the new tents so you can get more cooks in there and they're going to need more rocks so they can bring more cooks in and those people are going to need more rocks so they can bring more latrines in and it's just this it was like everybody's building up to be the support people and none of them are going outside the fucking wire and it was just you know it's like i know i know you need those people in the capacity you know beans and bullets win wars and logistics are important but uh you know at some point uh i remember donald rumsfeld came in there uh, to visit us. You remember that? Yeah. Secretary of Defense. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as was like November and it was like kind of an alt call. Everybody gets to go and listen to the SecDef and, you know, it was kind of rally the troops and uh, he's there and, you know, we're, we're all kitted out and, you know, and this guy stands up in the back and this is the reason they don't allow people to ask questions. They scream questions. He's like, hey, I'm so-and-so dipshit. Uh, how come some people get to have beards and other people can't? And everybody just looked at him like, you fucking idiot. <laughs> so, I'm like, who is this, you know, maintenance guy who, you know, somebody choked this guy out. Um, you know, the secretary of defense and you're asking him a stupid question like that, but, uh, yeah, so we get there and, uh, back out to like October, right. So we're there and we're eating MREs, you know, I hadn't showered in probably, I think a couple weeks now, one of our guys had brought like a camping shower bag, you fill it with water and the sun hits it and it gets hot, right? Yeah. So, yeah. We had that, but I mean, I remember one of our guys, we had dug a trench. He's out there. He's just taking a two, number two, and this girl just walks by and he just waves at her. He's got a little nail. You carry out your own toilet paper. You just yeah. put it on the nail. And he's like, literally. And at that point, I think somebody was like, you might, you guys want to put some ponchos up and build like a little uh, shelter, right <laughs> so that, you know? So, that, you know, the birds don't come by and, you know, you're pissing Sheila's off or anything like that. But I get you. Okay, so. That was a good time uh but the uh, no kidding so the first sortie it's a country we um it's two chocks so we're putting uh, so two two by mh-47s and what we're doing is we're putting teams in so oda teams from mm. the special forces group and we're inserting them out there uh obviously there's they're meeting up with people in there right um with northern alliance and uh, that very first night as we're crossing the border obviously we test our guns we had mini guns on the 47s and uh you know, of course, we're in the back of the ramp and I'm just clipped into my cowtail and you know, I ops check, shoot off some five five six, you know, my controller, he shoots off a two oh three, everything works. I was like, Did you really have to test your two oh three? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but of course we got our old MVGs on and take like our forty nine forty nines. and we're looking outside, and of course, you know, we don't know what to fucking expect, right? You know, we're just we're excited, we're amped up, we're scared, shitless. We don't know if the whole country's trying to kill us or what, you know. I mean, it's you gotta understand there's people. I mean, I'm sleeping right next to a guy where, where he's from New York wearing a Yankees hat, you know, yeah. and he's talking about how he's gonna get some. You know, it's just like every feeling is <laughs> very passionate, right? Yeah. Um, so we get there and uh the first night, you know, I think we 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 get shot at uh and we get uh two by Sam launches at our helicopter. Um you know, I don't know if it's Sam's or man pads, but I remember pushing flares. Everybody pushed the flares. We had a little button we'd fly with. So you're sitting there. You, if you're, if you're not on the ramp, or you're in a window uh, with a gun, you have a porthole. You're looking through. Yeah. And you're just scanning your, your whole job is to, to look right. And you got a little, it's just a little uh, cable that comes with a little button. It's hooked to the flares. She so hit the flares. And I remember like everybody was just like uh, pushing, 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 pushing <laughs> uh, that first night. And we got some small arm shot at us and whatnot. So uh, obviously we changed some of the routing after that first night to avoid those areas, but uh that was pretty scary. We put in a, a JTAC, actually you no know, a team at first, and uh, and then we went back and put in a bunch of JTACs later on. Yeah, right. But it, it was it was just a good time, man. And it was it was scary at the same time. It was uh I mean you you know you're you know you what you're doing, you know while you're there, you know, there's nobody in nobody's mind was people like, you know, I don't want to be here type of deal. I mean, there was definitely some times where people were nervous and scared and you know, but you know, you talk to it, and you get through it because you know back home everybody's thinking about you there, you know, hundred percent behind you.
0: Yeah. Um, like just reading through your bio is you, you know, just reading through it says you recovered the first American killed uh for the operation. Yeah, yep.
2: so let me let me kind of clarify on that. So the first I actually worked on the first guy that was killed. Uh, yeah, and that was up in uh. so we were at a base in Uzbekistan. Right. And this guy was a, a poor dude. He was um, a CE guy, civil engineer. Uh, and he had slipped and fell. And there's like a water buffalo. They've got like a hitch on the back and he fell. I think it was nighttime when he fell and he slipped and he fell. It kind of just impaled him um and cut some of his internal organs oh, so shit. no kidding there was no hospital at this place man i mean like literally the nearest hospital was germany they were flying guys yeah,
1: out right. to oh, germany. Fuck.
2: <laughs> yeah so this is this is the very first week uh just and he's moving pallets around unloading pallets from c-17s and he's got pinched in between this thing so there's a pj by the name of uh, scott Shepard. uh he was a he was a pj 2 sts guy and then he got out and became a the uh, physician's assistant and we had set up a makeshift like in a little tent, like a little clinic. Uh, but I mean, they were living on the other side of it, you know, it was just like a thin wall. This is where my head. So, but we had one stretcher in there with a little, uh, a monitor and we didn't have any blood or anything like that. Right. So they comes in and this guy's just obviously internally bleeding, bleeding everywhere. And, uh, like literally, He's like, who's O-negative? Anybody O-negative? And here I am. I'm all negative right? So uh, w- literally, I'm given a bloody transfu- buddy transfusion. And uh, no, no AV cross-matching or anything, if you're familiar with that, with the spin your blood. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Literally, I'm taking blood, and it's just going through a, a tubing into a bag, and they hang it, and they gave it right to this guy. Um, and then after I'm done giving blood, I assist Scott on the surgery. Uh, we open this dude up, Ugh. and we're working with we were literally working with headlamps in this because, you know, the lighting, they hadn't hooked up the lighting yet. And their generator was spotty. Uh, and they're like these old uh, Alaskan, not even Alaskan tents, like the old school tents. Uh, so it was a, it was sketchy lighting in there. And he needed the head, you know, I'm sitting a headlamp, handing the hemostat, helping him out, literally giving blood blows, crazy man. Um, he, they got him out to Germany uh, and Scott did a great job, man. Uh, Scott's not a surgeon or anything by trade, but, uh, and he ended up, Going back to being a crow later, a combat rescue officer later on, um, he's a great PA and uh, he did a great job of patching this guy up. And they got him on the C seventeen. They got him in Germany. Uh, unfortunately, the guy uh, died of an infection later on yeah. uh, and complications. But I mean, we hustled to try and as much as possible. So that was the first guy who actually died. If you actually get on like Wikipedia or something yeah. to find that that yeah, he gotcha. actually died of the war, uh, so it wasn't combat related. Um, the actual first combat related death was. Uh, was a CIA agent, Michael Spann. And so that was, um, I like think the 23rd or 26th of November. So there was a prison uprising, Masary Sharif. And, uh, there was a guy that they had captured, what they called the American Taliban, uh, John Walker, I think is the name. Yeah. And, uh, he was, you know, it was pretty big. It was all of the news, CNN, Fox, all that stuff back in the States. Right. This guy was kind of like a traitor. Uh, I think he got released two years ago, by the way. So there's a legal system for you. Um, but, um, I digress. <laughs> anyway, um, so we had, uh, we've we been inserting the teams, like I said, in northern Afghanistan for, you know, the last couple weeks, you know, month and a half, putting in uh, JTACs at this point. Uh, this is where the JTACs are starting to become a, a household name, Joint Terminal Attack Controllers, right? Um, whereas, see, the 5th Special Forces Group is out there, but they realized they needed Air Force Special uh, matter experts to come out and control close air support. So that's where our two, three SDS JTACs started getting in the fight. And uh, that guy, Kurt Buller, I talked about earlier, he was very, very influential to the task force, task force dagger. At that point, the guys in, is convincing those guys that, Hey, you need an air force guy to control air force air aircraft. And he did. And if you go and just read all the books out there, the guys are just studs. You know, I could name a few Calvin Markham, Brett Bart Decker, yep. uh, Matt Leinhardt, Silver Star winners or, or even higher, man. Great, great dudes that kicked ass. And, you know, killing Taliban by the thousands, man. We just listened to them on SATCOM, listened to BDA. Uh, but anyway, we get the call and we're sitting alert. So I'm combat search and rescue. That's my main job when I'm not uh, embedded with the aircraft is just being on alert. And uh, we get the uh, we get the notification that there's something going on down in Mez. Uh, and we know our team's down there, right? And uh, so we go down there. And sure enough, shit had gone bad. There's a prison uprising. And uh, we get down and we met with the dudes. And, and none of our guys were hurt or anything like that that I knew uh, on this mission. But uh, unfortunately, Mike had gotten killed um, because there were like 600 fighters that kind of uprised against them. So on my chalk, we took out uh, that American Taliban dude. We actually shackled his ass down to the floor. Um, oh, shot on those deep this D rings on the, you know, the MH 47. Yeah. You, know, you ever use it? Yeah, yeah. 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 And it was a little bit cold flying over the mountains and, uh, sorry, we didn't have enough blankets to go around. So sorry <laughs> about that.
0: Um,
2: I tried to remain though as much as possible. And then, uh, we, um, in chalk two is Michael's body. So, um, we land back up at the base and obviously a group of guys come out and grab the prisoner. And then, uh, we go over to chalk two and we stand there at the back of the helicopter and the, uh, the chaplain comes out. The chaplains with the uh the 160th sword he was just a great chaplain i mean just uh i, I don't know if you guys are religious, I'm religious or not but uh um he gave just gave some great uh, spiritual kind of relief before each mission he had yeah. something to say even if it was only a couple of words he's like you know he's like god's with you because he can't be with these fucking bastards yeah. you know that's like yeah. you know that's like, and he was, <laughs> he, was a, he was a guy that you know he's definitely didn't mind cursing a little bit for the Lord uh and he got the guys going and you know you you know uh, so if you were spiritual it was good to have him. He was there with a couple of the leadership guys, um, and they came out to the aircraft. It was the first, you know, time. You know, they, they brought a flag out and they draped it over. Uh, we had him on a litter at that time, and they, they carried him off. Man, that was the the first casualty, the first casualty in combat of the war. That hectic right off uh, the back of the helicopter, man. So it's pretty crazy. That's
0: history. That is just, that's in- yeah. incredible. So, um, mate, you know, moving forward from there, obviously in two thousand three. Uh, the Iraq war yeah. kicks off. So the invasion. We only
2: got so much time, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's only so much time. I'm sure you got a thousand more stories when it comes to Afghanistan. Yeah,
2: but definitely want to talk about 2003.
0: Yeah, so. yeah, because yeah. obviously this uh, this includes uh, us uh, stinking Aussies. Yep. So uh yeah, so you uh Iraq 2003 kicks off the uh, the invasion kicks off. Uh, you're split into half with. Some go to Kuwait and some go to Jordan, which was yourself within the yeah. Australian task force. I've been to Jordan.
2: So I think it was H5, I think we were at. I mean, mm-hmm. if you remember, uh, so familiar with their, their like name on H spaces, H3, H5, yeah. I, don't, I don't remember. But um, yeah, so nine eleven, ha- you know, we're done with that first deployment. I'm there for about six months. Uh, you know, uh, I get replaced by the dudes that were in Operation Anaconda, the other guys that actually replaced us. And then we get home. Um, And just do some training a bit. So not much going on for the next year and a half. And then obviously we go to Iraq and we're all pumped up because here we are another first wave. You know, what do we expect? Right. We're not replacing anybody. We're not rotating anybody out. You're on the first wave of this. Right. So of course, everybody's talking W D, WMD. Uh so half of my unit goes to uh Jordan and then the other half goes to uh, Kuwait, right? So we're kind of in the south. The guys obviously in the south, the third infantry division, the third ID was huge, right? So there's lots of stories about them out there. And then I was in the west uh with uh with you guys, with uh I think uh Task Force Faulkner, I think it was, uh with the Aussies. Uh and you know, we had Americans over there, obviously, and I was fortunate enough after when I got there, I, I was doing combat search and rescue. That was going to be my job. But, you know, after a week there, this is all preparation prior to, the, you know, the invasion or the liberation, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Um, so it was all training. Right. And because we didn't we had a, we had a general time frame, but we didn't know when the, the ground war was going to start. Uh, we were still hoping that uh, Saddam would uh, bow down to sanctions <laughs> and uh, turn over his let the let the inspectors come into the country. Right. Uh, but you know, obviously it didn't happen and we end up going to war, but, uh, so we're training. And I think after a week of being there, they're like, yeah, we're going to put you with the Aussies. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I go out <laughs> and meet these guys. And, um, of course I'm with the, uh, the commandos initially. And the first thing I noticed about going over the Aussie compound is your food is way better, Yeah, um, which was fucking awesome. You- and the second thing I realized was. It was like a thousand degrees. It felt like in Jordan, and the you know the Americans. So over at the Yank compound, yeah. we were doing those stupid gas mask drills every day, Training you know, <laughs> around this gas mask. So I realized that the uh, you guys didn't do that shit. No. You know, you were actually practicing real stuff. So I was so happy to be over there. Uh, but I still had to report in every day over to the uh, the American side. Yeah, we had a special tactics operations center. So here I am. Um, obviously they realize uh, me and the two of the guys that are attached to the unit. They're like, Hey, uh, you should probably get some Oz cams because uh, yeah. if we're out on patrol, uh, three Americans looking, standing out, you're probably gonna get sniped. So I'm, <laughs> they give me some Ozcams. cam. Um, so that was pretty cool. Right. So I'm like, yeah, I'm wearing Aussie cams. I'm blending in. I don't have to play by the air force rules. That's awesome. Uh, but of course I still had to wear my gas mask carrier when I went over to the, uh, the air force side, because uh, they might, you see my ID card. They know I'm a uh, air force. Yeah. America, dude. So I go in there one day, and there's his gas mask drill. And sure enough, you know this this first sergeant looks at me, and he's like, you know, given the international gas symbol, yeah. you know, the fist coming towards yeah. the face, and he's like, he does it again. And of course, I, I kind of pretend like I don't see him. <laughs> <laughs> and then i finally opened my bag because he's like pointing at it and i pull out my bag of doritos because it's the only thing i have in there and start eating my doritos which was great man uh i got my ass chewed that for that but uh i was like where's your gas mask Is it, it's with my actual kit that i'm gonna go on country with man it's not in my fucking stupid ass carrier but um yeah so that was fun but uh yeah the train up was great man so the I mean, I loved uh, hanging out with the guys with the Commandos and the uh, SAS guys. The first time I shot the uh Gustav,
0: yeah,
1: the eighty-four Yeah.
2: which is like, oh fuck, dude, I think I got the shell up here somewhere. Oh, I sick,
1: do. bring it down. Yeah, I love the I eighty-four got it right here. Yeah, boy. oh,
2: beautiful. <laughs> I snuck this fucker back, uh, among <laughs> other things, because this is before the customs guys were trying to get on us. Yeah, first time in the country, and um, but. I've got some, uh, some other trinkets and stuff uh, that I brought back. i got one of y'all's, uh, y'all's caps. Yeah, y'all yeah. Like that. Yeah, slash it. Oh, yeah. So uh, yeah, awesome. pretty fucking cool. But um, yeah, we did a bunch of training out there, man. We, we actually worked with the had A-10s out there as well. in yeah, Jordan. Man. So we did some close air support, marking them with the uh, the ISLA ground commander's pointers and whatnot. And uh, it was just a good time. We we were basically shooting every day. Uh, we're doing PT, obviously. Uh, we brought out the, uh, the rescue stuff. My job was a few recovery specialists. So in case shit went bad. So I had like a mini jaws of life. That was a hydraulically operated yeah, yeah, by yep, hand yep. and I had a Sawzall. So in addition to my normal kit, I had about an extra 50 pounds of shit I had to carry. Uh, so it was a, it was a heavy kit. So we finally get the call. Uh, hey, it's going down and we go into mission prep and uh, we, we know, we know it's going to happen. And so the, uh, the initial, the SAS blokes take off on uh, their uh, LRPVs, right. So they're six wheeled kind of land rovers. Yep. And yep. uh we roll in on a uh, on a forty seven shock and we rolled into uh we basically cleared Al Assad Airbase, which is pretty freaking cool, man. Yeah. So oh, yeah, uh, it was a good time, man. So we get there and a little resistance, so not not much to talk about as far as uh, you know uh, smoking bad guys or anything like that. I mean, there was a little bit of firefights we had, but it was nothing crazy. Um, but there's just a, it was pretty amazing that we cleared this entire base, you know, like building by building this whole thing, you know, we're just finding stuff, you know, we're out there for days. Uh, what I remember being with your guys is, is, you know, every evening, every morning stand to, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah so in the, the Marines in there and, and the U S military are big on that, but you know, that was kind of, they're like, hey, stand two, and then after stand two, it was tea time, man. So I was like, man, you guys so much better food than us. Your MREs were like in these little fucking square pouches, and we had little brown packages no, that were see, like twenty years old. See,
0: we see, we see it different. or oh, We prefer your MREs. We hate no it. Way. Our, ours. No way. Suck.
2: You guys, you ha- yours are. Uh, I've tried every combination of mixing all of our shit. And <laughs> yeah. Yours is ten times better. Yeah. So not to mention, like your cooks were just what there was less, I think it was just because there was less people, you know, yeah. smaller. Yeah, exactly. More personal. So every time you walked into your guys's compound, it was just, you know, there's just a handful of us and they, they're just so friendly. Yeah. Nice. Uh, but so we're at Al-Assad and, you know, we're clearing abilities. We, we had a few, few small uh, little fire things, but nothing crazy. Right. Uh, then we had uh, the runway. So we're trying to get the runway open there. We were there for probably a week and a half. And that first day that I came in on the helicopter, you had to bring all your water. So I had what I call Ruckzilla, So I had my real backpack, my patrol pack, and then I had my big, you know, just all my shit. And, uh, and then I had the, I still had the saw and everything with me too. So it was like, I'm dragging this thing, you know, this is why we PT. Right. Yeah. Um, And it's, I'm running out of water bombs. I mean, guys are rationing water. It sucks. Uh, and then they could not land any aircraft because between the Iraqis had hauled crap out onto the runway and the Americans had blown it up. Right. Because we had thought, hey, they're gonna <laughs> use the runway to take off with their MIGs. Uh so the winds were crazy high and they had tried a couple airdrops, but the entire pallets had just blown up. So we finally um, we like find the, the earth-moving stuff, to plow off the runway. There's by the way, there's no batteries in any vehicle in the country, right? Like and I think the Iraqis, we totally Yeah, We're like,
0: they're,
2: they're technologically advanced. They had built these burns where they pull, everything's a, you know, manual. They back it up, they pop the clutch and they just roll off. They didn't have any batteries in their vehicles. Oh, why? So they don't have a, <laughs> an auto parts store, right? So literally I was driving vehicles around until it ran out of petrol, you know, gas was gas. I had this LRP, this thing I would stick my neck out of, this BMP, you know, me and another dude or, you know, one of my commando buddies out there, little guys is rolling around. We would just <laughs> drive around because there was no way to pump gas. We'd have to siphon it out. And we just drive around until it's empty. But we got to be a couple of vehicles running and we towed out the crap off the runway. And then we got a grader or we got a plow, but we didn't have a, a steamroller. So I remember we went into the town and we had one interpreter with us and he spoke and he said, Hey, we are we were commandeering this in the name of the new Republican army or something like that. Whatever he said. We took it back and no shit. We plowed the base. And I remember the night. Uh, so it was an Aussie C-130 that came in. Like I said, it's a week and a half, two weeks into it at this point. And we're just, at, you know, we're parched, rationing water. Uh, they land, and we were just tearing water bottles off that first pallet, just throwing them at each other. Guys were just drinking them like it was the best drink you've ever had yeah, in your right. life. It was awesome. Oh. Um, <laughs> so that was a pretty good time, man. So I, I stayed there for a couple more days, and then I got I got shipped out to another location. But that was my time with the with the Aussies there. In yeah, right. Um, we found a while we were there. What else did we find? I think there was like a little Republican Guard barracks that was pretty cool. But we didn't take any contact. We found some ammo caches. Yeah. Uh, right we nope. found a bunch of you know we oh i do remember the first shower we had was pretty cool so <laughs> you guys this kind of decon team i don't know what you call them shows up uh and their whole job is the decon right yeah and they we we found this pool um that was there and they they had hooked up the pumps and they were going to set it as a decon and but the guys were like fuck it i just want to shower so who wants to try out the decon thing everybody's raising their hand give me a bar of soap i just want to shower you know because we stuck you know and we're just out there for days but uh it was, a, it was a good time.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> Fuck yeah,
0: that's awesome. So then, uh, later in two thousand three, you get sent to Africa. Um, yeah, Africa wasn't bad. Of, so I moved
2: to Africa, and I was I was kind of the uh, I get to Africa. I'm a team leader at this point. You know, I'm a I'm a staff sergeant. I think been around for a bit. This is my third deployment, and. Uh, I kind of felt like I was the peace bomb cuz you know I'd had a few little things and you know even when I was with the Aussies, I uh, I worked on a couple of guys but it was minor stuff nothing like you know crazy I always waiting for the big mission right everybody wants the big mission and there was a guy that I replaced uh, his name was Kerry Miller and he was a guy that was with Jason Cunningham in Operation Anaconda so he's the guy that replaced me in 01 and they went in Roberts Ridge and the seal fell off he was with Jason Cunningham and Gabe Brown and the dudes who got the Medal of Honor recently, John Chapman. Um, and then I replaced him. And of course, right before I get there, they had this whole big incident and he saved a bunch of lives. Yeah. And then when I get there, it's pretty much peace again. I was like, man, so <laughs> I'm the peace bomb. I'm just, I'm not finding things. We had a good time though. It was Africa hot, you know, if you guys have been down there or not. But uh, we did some diving, some tiger sharks there. And whatnot. What,
1: yeah. What country, Jason, Africa? Well, uh, what's that? What, what country in Africa?
2: Uh, so Djibouti, So oh, mostly yep. I've uh, been to Djibouti. Djibouti, and then I think we did some stuff in Ethiopia, but at this time I didn't go to Kenya. Now I've been to Kenya and Somalia a bunch yep. uh, as a contractor, but at this time it was pretty much right there. Now we, we had prepped for a bunch of stuff that was, you know, that gets spun up, you train for, but never yeah. happens. Right. Cause you're waiting yeah. for some crazy approval. Uh, you know, there was talks of going down to the Mogadishu and like, I remember one time this task force commander comes out and he's like, uh, All right, guys. I don't know what to say other than go watch Black Hawk Down and uh, say your prayers. We we might be going to Mogadishu tomorrow. I'm like, what the fuck? What what kind of what kind of pep talk was that? You know, know? nobody wants to go watch a movie where 17 dudes are killed, and then you know think about that. So uh, that didn't happen at that time. Um, So I mean, it was pretty much just a training mission. You know, we we did a bunch of stuff. It was uh, the only cool thing that happened on that uh, that uh, deployment was Collective Soul came out with the uh, USO. Yep. And then the band's there. And of course, you know, we're down in the task force compound. It's me, um, you know, my the guys are with me and uh, the SEALs. And we live in this little kind of area. And the band comes down there. They had done like the main USO show on the main side of base for, for all the regs. And they come over to our side, of course. Over there, it's like two beers, you know, and you're done. Yeah. Right? On our side, it's like whatever. We open <laughs> up a tent and there's just a case, cases of beers, you know. So they're like, yeah, these are the guys we want to go see. And uh, the drummer's like, fuck yeah. <laughs> and we're like, can we shave your head? He's like, yeah. So I'm like literally got my clippers. I'm shaving the drummer's head. And I remember uh, the lead singer, you know, we're just having, we're doing drinks and get shot. And he's like, yeah, you're a medic. Yeah. I was like, yeah, you keep drinking. I'll give you an IV. And literally I had IVs out. I, was, I, had guys IVs. I remember one of them was wearing a hat and I just take some like 80 pound test. It's like this uh, white uh, yeah. cord and I wrapped it around his hat. And it was like holding the IV bag down to shoulder and it was like <laughs> dripping. I was like, man, you got to keep your arm down because it keeps back flowing the blood up. And uh, and here I am drinking myself. But you know, this is, it's just crazy, stupid stories like that. That's um, awesome. I think the only real world I did on that one, that whole deployment, was I had a jumper that uh, that, that screwed up on a, uh, they did a hey ho jump just for training and he landed off DZ and he was kind of messed up. So uh, I not responded to that. But other than, and then I had a guy. One of the seals was a was a dumbass. I mean, not in general, but this guy was. He was with his knife cutting towards himself. And oh. he slipped. He was cutting something. Ran it right up his septum. Oh shit! Uh, so I end up. Uh, you know, I'm with the doc, and the doc's like, "Yeah, you're gonna take care of it." So yeah, yeah. I sewed him up. You know, and and just. Uh, you know, he had to go – probably he still has a scar to this day, probably down the side of his face. Yeah, but right. other than that, not much in 2003, man.
0: Yeah, and then uh, obviously back 2004, you're straight back to uh, Iraq again with um, yeah, American so that, Special Mission Unit. Yeah, this
2: is here. a good one, man. So uh, this one I'm with uh, – I'm augmenting a uh, a special mission unit. I'll just say that uh, without saying the names of who they were. Yeah. And we were after a high value target, The so yeah, uh, uh, AMZ, yeah, uh, was pretty much a, a big deal back at that time. And we were we were hunting all over for this guy. A lot of what we call dry holes. So you don't, uh, you know, we launch on missions every night and uh, we couldn't find them. But I mean, I was flying on everything in this time, which was was pretty cool. We were on, uh, uh, you know, forty sevens on sixties on little birds. So I was on little birds without the guns. So uh, MH sixes. It was just me and another guy. Um, we were on a C twenty three, so Sherpa actually got a, a jump on this on this deployment. So I jumped uh, into a place that's pretty cool, and then uh, so we provided combat search and rescue for a uh, pretty cool mission, which was a, a hostage rescue that happened during that time. So can't talk about the details, but yeah, of course, but yep. it's, uh, it's a you know full scale hostage rescue during that time it was yeah, pretty cool.
0: That's awesome. And it's the first one that's I think they've cool. had in years. So yeah, so far, yeah. yeah, that's yeah, it's fucking cool. That's fucking cool. But um, all right, well let's move forward then. So how did you transition from so obviously 2012 ish you become. A
1: pilot, you know what stage? Yeah, what stage, so, did you, uh, what stage did you... Hang you? I'm just gonna stop there. Not yeah. not just a pilot. Yeah, an, an yeah. A10 pilot. An A10 and pilot. And if everyone out there so. who's hey, hey, listening, so, an uh, A10. Okay, I, I, so
2: for man, so yeah. I'm here, bro. So this is it. This is the A10 right here. Yeah, so, yeah, so, uh, fuck yeah. It, it, it's, all, right?
0: it's so, a machine. Uh, if, it's an absolute I'll tell
2: machine. You I don't know if you guys get to take holiday over here or not, but if you do, I will get you in the simulator and, oh, and I'll be there next month the range.
0: I'm
1: there next month.
2: I will take you to the range. I will get you some shells after oh, I shoot them. Oh,
1: uh, I'm coming over tomorrow. tomorrow. I'm back so, in the back. Yeah. I'm not kidding you, man. I'm fucking so, swimming anyway, over. Um,
2: yeah. How did I transition though? Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Cool. So, uh, you know, I've been deploying pretty much on the go since 9-11. I think my wife is ready to kill me at some point. Now, if you remember back when we first started talking, I was like, hey, I only want to do four years and then go to school. Well, the I don't know. We had this thing called stop loss, which is basically you can't get out right now mm. of the military. Oh, ah, right. Because they're just short on people. So that happened, I think, on that 2004 deployment. I think I was coming up on four years at that point or maybe right before it. But I made the decision at this point, like – hey, uh, I'm just going to extend. And I think I re-enlisted for another six years at this point because, you know, I, I you know they're not going to let me out anyway. I might as well try and get, they had like a re-enlistment bonus. And if you're able to do it downrange, you get like some kind of tax advantage or whatever. So I did that, you yeah. know, for, uh, I got back. Uh, and I, I did a bunch more deployments. And if you look at the bio, I think I did like 20 countries in total. So those are the big deployments. And we did a bunch of, uh, you know, just, Uh, what we call temporary duty, you know, two weeks here, a week there. Uh, So 20 different countries in total in the meantime. And then I get home, I think around 2005 ish. I'm looking for orders. I was trying to go to Iceland. Uh, Iceland was really cool. We had a base there in Keflavik at the time. And one of my bros was there and he was loving it and said, come out here, man. Uh, Unfortunately, I put in my dream sheet request uh, through the, the orders people and that base closed down. Uh, so they said, hey, uh, you can take an instructor duty. So my wife and I said, hey, let's, we want to go to Key West as a dive instructor or uh, the indoctrination course, which is in San Antonio, uh, yeah. which we'd go back there. Uh, we ended up getting the San Antonio gig. Uh, and the reason I wanted to be an instructor was, Uh, I knew deep down, I I really wanted to fly. That was my ultimate goal. Right. So I'd done all this cool stuff on the ground and I eventually want to get back to, to where I was heading in the the first place. But I also know that I needed a four year degree, right. To be an officer. So, and I knew I couldn't, it was very difficult. I was, I had done some night classes and then some weekend kind of classes and I've some stuff, just kind of tested out of some classes, but I needed some time to go to school without a deployment or constantly on the road. Uh, so I knew the instructor gig would give me that. So I went to the indoctrination course and I got there, like I think the spring of 2005 and that's where I met up with Mike. Um, yeah, so I started taking school there. Uh, so I was instructing, which gave me a st- stability, right? You know, the, uh, I knew I was going to be home and not going overseas or anything. I know I was there for two years and it was a great time, you know, with a lot of good stories. And uh, I know Mike told a bunch of stories on that, but uh, pretty much back to where I started, where uh, I was a trainee. Now I'm training the guys you know, fresh out of combat, you know, I had all those good stories and those guys were just loving it. And I love training the guys. It was awesome. You know, kind of seeing the next, the next generation, uh, you know, a lot of fun, fun stuff we got to yeah. do with them. Um, but, uh, you know, eventually, um, I'm, I'm there and I'm like, Hey, I finish up school. Uh, and then, uh, i am get ready to apply pilot training. And I really, really wanted to fly a 10 and I'll tell you why in a second, but I knew that's what I wanted to fly. So, I apply to what's called officer training school uh, from the active duty and uh, I get accepted off the training school with a pilot slot and I got orders and everything. I'm supposed to go to Columbus Air Force Base um, and go down there to pilot training. And I call a buddy of mine and I tell him, Hey, I'm coming to Columbus. I got picked up for pilot training and he was a combat controller. He was on that 2001 deployment with me and he would, he had just kind of gone the same path. He went to go fly F-16s, and he was about, I don't know, six to nine months ahead of me in the in the lineup. He had just gotten his pilot assignment. He goes, do not come to Columbus. I go, what do you mean, bro? I mean, he goes, if you come to Columbus, you're going to end up with a tanker or or an RPA, so a robot, you know, MQ-9, MQ-1. Yeah, yes. And I was like, well, what are you talking about? I'll work my ass off. I'll, I'll work harder than anybody else. I know it's kind of like a how you place in the class type of thing, right? And he says, it doesn't matter how you place right now. It's based upon the air force needs. The next couple of classes are going to be, you know, you can't expect pretty much no fighters. Right. Uh, and then probably definitely not. So I heard that news and it was devastating to me because I'm like, I didn't get out of pararescue to go fly tanker and nothing against tanker guys. And I, I, I love the tanker guys. I know a lot of dudes, I got friends who are there. Same with guys who are flying MQ-9s, but yeah. it's not what I wanted to do. Um uh, I had the option. My wife was like, are you going to be a combat rescue officer, you know, or go be a pilot? So I had the option to do one. So um, I was kind of like for a couple of days, I just didn't know what to do. Uh, I even contemplated turning down completely and just going, Hey, I'm already commissioned. I'm a Lieutenant. Uh, I can go be, um, or I'm going to be a Lieutenant. I can go be a combat rescue officer. Maybe I'll go to PA school or something like that. Uh, I don't want to go fly one of these other things. Well, I ended up talking to a buddy of mine, uh, Nacho. So Joe Navarez, <laughs> we call him Nacho, NZ. Uh, and he he ends up telling me, uh, he's like, man, he's the reason I wanted to fly an A-10 to begin with. This dude, uh, was, he was like, he's like, basically go to the guard. Um, he, he got shot at in 2003. So that same deployment, when I was with the Aussies, he was with an ODA team. Um, special forces team green berets out of kuwait they got into a troops in contact and uh, he basically got to the point where they got ambushed in his town bad intelligence it was supposed to be cleared already or low resistance and it wasn't Uh, they got to the point where they had taken so many losses and they'd been shot up so much that they decided they weren't going to push through because they didn't know what was ahead of them they were going to go turn around and go well they were calling for help left and right and uh you know of course, there's all these rules of engagement and the aircraft are like, we can't come down below the deck, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And then 2 a show up and they're like, <laughs> fuck the rules, man. We're going to come. And they save their ass, basically. Yeah, right. They're doing danger close, 30 Mike mike race parallel to his convoy. So my buddy Joe, he'll, he tells a story here. And I've heard the story from both sides, Um, you know, from both the aircraft and from him. And they are shooting 203s out the window, Humvees, man. And these are, this is 2003, right? Not up armored Humvee. This is before the IEDs and the insurgencies. I'm talking like thin skinned Humvees. He's shooting 5.56 five, and 203 at the Humvees while the guy's on the 50. It is just crazy pandemonium. Like on the radio, all you hear is, boop, 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 boom. you know, and just that, yeah, that, uh, that saw going off. You know, it's just crazy. Um, so anyway, like Joe's like, man, I know you want to be an A pilot, man, because he told me a story. Ever since he told me that story after that 2003 deployment, I was like, you know, man, as a kid, I thought I wanted to fly F-16s or F-15s, yeah. <laughs> F-14s and Top Gun. I was like, no, man. He took me back to that that green A-10 flying over the hill at Fort Knox. And I was like, fuck yeah, that's what I want to fly, man. Uh, because it was like, I want to support the dudes in the ground. Yeah. Because I looked at every combat controller every infantry dude, every PJ dude, every Aussie commando, SAS dude, seal Marine as my brother. Cause I've been with all those guys, you know, I wanted to support those dudes. I didn't want to be at 30,000 feet doing air to air Yeah. Um, or, you know, a guy off on a tanker track or, or sitting in a booth somewhere back in, you know, Creech Air force base in, you know, Nevada operating a robot. So I call up a dude that I, you know, he's like, call this dude. I think he knows a guy in a guard unit. So I call this guy, he's a PJ instructor at a different base, at Kirtland Air Force Base. he's like, yeah, man, I dated a guy's sister up in Boise. He's like brother's second cousin. It's like this weird seven degrees of separation. How do you know those guys? Like, yeah, I know this guy up in Boise. Go check him out. So sure enough, I'm like, okay. So I look at two of my buddies who are PJs. And I go, hey, I'm going up to Boise this weekend. It's November. Uh and I go, hey, I'm going to interview for this job. I'm going to drop off my inter- – I'm sorry, my application. I go, come with me. Worst case, if it's a bus, we'll go snowboarding and we'll have a good time. So <laughs> these two dudes fly up with me. And uh, sure enough, we get here to Boise, and it's pretty cool, man. It's just that, you know, some of the guys are just super inviting. Uh, there was a guy here. He was like an 18 18 series guy as well, a former SFD. They showed us around. They took us to the sim, showed us the big ass gun, let us see the jet. I mean, I remember the recruiter here gave us hockey tickets. He's like, Hey, here's some hockey tickets. Uh, Go, go up to the ski slopes. They give us passes. I mean, unless it's like a small town, I just loved it right away. I was like, man, I got to bring my wife back here. She's going to love this place. So I bring my wife back like two months later, I get an interview, obviously from that first one, they call a bunch of us back. I interview my wife loves it here. Uh, so we go home, we're kind of waiting, uh, and like, you know, that nervous, like they got a call or not, cause they're only got a slot for one or two people. It was two of the two of us. And like, I think there were like 20, some people that applied and got interviews. So sure enough, I get a call and, uh, it's a guy that's, uh, you know, he's like, Hey, you want the job? I'm like, hell yes, sir. So, uh, so back up to that guy. That's, uh, my buddy Nacho in 2003, he, uh, was in that troops in contact one of the guys that on the board was one of those pilots. So it was pretty cool, man. So yeah, yeah really he was awesome. up there. Yeah, one of the guys that, uh, so you actually got the DFC, the grid uh, so it's our, uh, uh, flying cross, you know, yeah, so it's pretty cool, man. A single Flying Cross. It was, it was pretty awesome. And then, uh, he later on, he told me the story about those two dudes and it was, it was just, it was just great to hear that. But I get the call. Uh, my wife and I are both, you know, like, super happy but at the same time we're like we'll leave an duty now we're gonna go to the guard what is this in my mind Are these guard guys are they all fat and out of shape and whatnot you know like i didn't know what it was you know, i don't need reserves over in a yeah. same thing right turns out it's the exact opposite the guys are like really good because they do the job longer than anybody else yeah. the pilots here have more experience and whatnot so yeah so i think uh from there i uh I got commissioned. Uh, There's a little bit of off time. I did some cool stuff in the middle. I did some contracting for a little bit while I was waiting for a, a class date. Yep. I taught some uh, medical stuff, some TCCC. Uh, did that kind of off and on for a bit for about a year and a half while I was part time as well. Um, then I uh, went to pilot training. Man, it was a, it was a great time.
0: Yeah. Right. So you know, after you uh, finish all your pilot's training and you know you're a fully commissioned pilot, uh, you're back to Afghanistan. You know, 10 years yeah. prior, you were a PJ. Now you're flying above the skies in Afghanistan uh, out of Bagram. Yeah. And supporting yeah. So, uh, troops on the ground. Tearing 30-mile holes through. circle, right? Uh, yeah. 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 Massive yeah. circle. Uh, so,
2: 2012, I'm with a unit out of Arkansas, and they're just looking for volunteers to go. And sure enough, I was like, this is why we do it, right? Yeah, Raise my it. hand. Fuck uh it. I want to go. And I get there. I'm on my second flight. So, my first flight is just kind of like, hey, welcome. You just take off. This is what it is. So my first real flight, and I'm with a colonel, Fulbert colonel. He's a great guy. Call sign Stubby. Good dude um, from Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's kind of short, but he's he's a weapon. He's just a away awesome guy. And sure enough... Like, I don't even know where the hell we're at. Like, I could, I've been to Afghanistan before, right? But, you know, we're just Eastern Afghanistan, the mountains over there. You know, you look yeah. at the map, and if you've been there, obviously it's, yeah, it's hellacious, man. It's like 20,000 foot peaks, it's whatnot, deep. it's the valleys. So it's right along the border, Afghanistan uh, and Pakistan border. And there's this, uh, what we call Mount California, this road that runs all the way up. And at that time, there was a a FOB or an OP pretty much in every valley. So a little forward operating base with little, you know, OP up on a hill or something like that, observation point. Anyway, some guys would take some uh, some indirect fire, right, from the mountains, from the Taliban. And they just, like, called us over. They have troops in contact. And here I am, just like, he's like showing me around. He's like, oh, there, there's a fob. There's a bridge. We call this. this. Patch. Hold on. Stand by. Get real quiet. Hold on. Okay. Fence guns. So that means like, go ahead and turn your guns on, guns armed, gun switch armed. Well, here I am. You're like, uh, never shot uh, high explosive before, right? So this this blue tip or this, this one right here. Uh, That I'm showing you guys prior to that, it's been all like training rounds, you know, in in a 10 training. So uh, I roll in, I think we shoot about 350, at least I shoot about 350 rounds on this first one. Uh, So, you know, it's pretty freaking cool, man. So it's, it's like right there.
1: Yeah. Jace, what is the fire rate of the a 10s 30 mil cannon?
2: So it's uh, thirty nine hundred rounds per minute, uh, and we have eleven hundred and seventy four rounds. So uh, if you think about that, man, so it's uh, you're like, wait a minute, there's double, almost double the rounds per minute, and then you have bullets. Yeah. So you be you be out in thirty seconds, but we don't fire. I don't hold down the trigger continuously, so it's about a two second burst. You know, two two and a half second burst. You're looking for about one hundred ninety rounds yep. uh, right on on the bad guys and you got to think so each one of these and i know the listeners can't see this but i'm holding up a 30 mic mic shell each one of these uh these tips is the equivalent of a frag grenade so about a 15 yeah right know, oh, both, uh you know so a couple <laughs> meters right there so if you think you're getting about 70 rounds a second when this yeah. thing's up at full rate yeah uh that that'll pretty much do the job a highlight so you know toyota yeah will be taken out pretty quick uh, if it's armor, then we load uh, what's called armor piercing incendiary. Yep, it's usually like a five to one mix. So you get five of those HEI for every one of the, the armor piercing. Yep, and that thing is depleted uranium tips. It'll go through five inches of armor no problem. Yeah.
1: Fuck. <laughs> what is the um? What is like the distance? Like the uh, the max so, range? Um, max effective.
2: It just depends. So, if we're shooting a point target, like a like a vehicle or something like that, you actually want to hit pretty good. Yeah. So, within a, a one point five miles. So, um, I don't know what that is in meters, but about 1,600 to about sixteen hundred meters. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So, um,
1: so that uh, I don't know
2: thirty or uh, twenty twenty four hundred something like that. Yeah. Um, but you can drive it in. So that's that's what we call like a high angle strafe. Like we're diving up pretty high. Then we kind of recover back in the air. It, and that's if it's a vehicle. Now, if it's danger close, like, you know, if like, so, uh, you know, like Shane, mm. if you were like the bad guy and getting ready to shoot Mark and yeah. or Matt. And then uh, I want to roll in and hit that, hit that bottle right there. Yeah. Uh, that's in between you guys. I didn't want to do that from really far away. I'd want to get close. Gotcha. So I'd come in and I'd, uh, you know, low, what we call low angle strafe. I get down to a couple hundred feet. I'd actually come in at a hundred feet and right. At about two miles, I'd pop up, and then I'd uh, I'd probably shoot around a mile, maybe to a half mile. Yep. So I'd drive it in pretty close, just a few thousand
1: meters. That'd be fuck! That's fucking sick. And the uh, the noise from the thirty more cannon is uh, it's quite distinctive. It makes a it is the yeah, sound in so, the world.
2: Uh, you know, if you only do an impression, it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it sounds it sounds, it
1: sounds uh, a lot like the seaweeds, like the close-in weapons what we have on the ships, I think they're 25 yeah, exactly or 20. Like, mil. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they so, shoot so that cool. six. Yeah. Bigger as well. And I think they, they no, shoot that 60 rounds That's no, pretty second.
2: cool. The Seaways is actually uh, pretty awesome. Uh, but uh, we've had those at the bases, the shoot down incoming.
1: Yeah. Sea um, Rams. Is that what they're called, man? Yeah. You guys have C Sea C-Ram. yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: So the, uh, a ten will it's it's just they call it the silent gun. Cause here's what you'll see. Like if, if you guys ever make it out of here, and I'm serious, dead serious to each on the range, you you're at the OP and I'm you'll sorry. see you'll see the hits. Yep. You'll hear the noise, you'll see the A10 like climbing. Yep. And then you'll finally you hear the noise just because the sound, you know, takes time to travel. Yeah, yeah. So they, you know, that when you, by the time you hear that, the, the bird sound, the A10's already pulled off target. So, you know, the whole Hollywood myth of, you know, I'm going to see, hear the guys coming, yeah. I'm going to run is just bullshit. By the time you hear it, you're already dead. You it, yeah. So unless I, <laughs> unless I missed, which doesn't <laughs> yeah. happen in the A10, right? So, yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, let's, um, so let's. That's the
2: point. What yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Mate.
0: Yeah. So we just want to move forward to 2016. This is obviously yeah. a, a good one too because this is fighting those fuckwits, ISIS. Yeah. So yeah. yeah so that, that uh,
2: 2012 was pretty good. Had some good. I dropped some bombs and stuff. But uh, I think I think the the one where I've done the most is 2016. Right. So. Yeah. um Obviously, we left, uh, we left Afghanistan, not Afghanistan, we left Iraq in 08, you know, and this is where, you know, George Bush was the president at the time. He kind of, he kind of laid a didn't he? you know, he said, hey, he did, yeah. if we leave now and don't listen to our commanders, we're probably going to have to come back to an enemy that's even worse. And he pretty much called it. We did. So in the vacuum of not having anybody there, you had this ability kind of this place where the ISIS was able to form, right? Their little caliphate, if you will. And these guys are just fucking human pieces of shit, right? So, I mean, just waste of, I mean, I'm usually good with everybody, you know, as far as give somebody a second chance, except everybody, except for ISIS, all lives matter, except ISIS, right? Uh, Fuck those guys. Um, Exactly. So, Yeah, exactly. We, I'm glad we're on the same page. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, we are. <laughs> we are. Yes, yeah. Most of your listeners are on the same that, page.
0: Everyone is. Yeah. I'm sorry. Them <laughs> and the
1: NVA.
2: Yeah. Technical terms we're using here. Uh, so we're, we get called over there and uh, my unit, I think we get there in uh, March or April of 2016. And this is a six for us is a six months deployment. We know we're going to be in there and for the guard. You know, it's pretty big. Usually it's about three months, but six months for us. And we're all excited to go. So no. no no problem finding volunteers for this one to fill the fill the slots. So we get there and we're working out of a uh, you know Turkey, so to the north of uh, yeah. Syria, and ISIS is dug in in Syria and western Iraq. And uh, you know the difference between Afghanistan on my previous deployment is this one is like I'm like the very first freaking sortie. Here I am, almost coming back Winchester. I mean we are just. There's juicy targets every single day. Juicy targets. And I that. when I was in Afghanistan in 2012, the rules of engagement, I mean, were are just, uh, and they had changed. I've, I've been in Afghanistan several times as a contractor as well. It just seems like the rules of engagement were always so difficult to do your job. Right. You know, like you can't see your structure because you can't, you can't tell who's in there or vehicle, or yeah. blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it almost seemed like we handed the bad guys the playbook sometimes. Dude, this was gloves off. It was like war, like it was supposed to be. We were like, I didn't, you know, here I am like my very first day in combat in 2016 and I'm leveling on a fricking building. Uh, so I'm dropping 500 pound bombs. We're dropping 2000 pound bombs in the middle of the city. we got snipers and just, just bad guys, douchebags, and we're just killing them all wasting a man. So, um, and at this point, I'm a flight lead at this point. So I'm not like a wingman anymore. I'm a, I'm leading the flight. Um, and I'm, you know, I've got all my qualifications as, as a, FAC, a forward air controller, uh, rescue guy, um, and a bit more experienced, a bit more seasoned. And it just, it was just a lot of cool combat, man. So, so two notable missions I'll talk about real quick. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one, uh, so I'm flying uh, with my buddy. Uh, I'll just, uh, call Greg, my buddy, Greg. And, uh, <laughs> he's, he, we're sitting there. So we're talking to a JTAC and uh, well, again, the cool thing is it's such a small community, right? Mm. So I actually know the, the guy, the JTAC I'm talking to is from, from my former unit to yeah, here. Yes. Right. Yeah, see. So it's pretty cool. Right. So I'm talking and he's not actually on the ground of this place. He's having us look at, he's looking through a predator feed. And he's like, Hey, I want you to go over here and check this, this village out. Uh, and it been a pretty slow day from, from us, you know, previously kind of just, gotten to the point where we're like nah nothing's happened yet man oh man so we get pushed over to this town you know I don't know a few a uh, few clicks uh, to the east and we just get set up in this orbit and sure enough like you know thirty seconds into it he's like hey I think I'm getting shot at I see puffs of smoke you know so I'm like oh shit climb it up man um, <laughs> climb it to the top of the block so you're climbing above this stuff I go I see it too I go your cover on me I'm gonna try and find it and of course. We we call the JTAC real quick, and you know, same thing. If you're getting shot at, you don't need all the clearances and the nightlines yeah. and stuff. It's self defense rules of engagement, yeah. right? So exactly. we just want to find this bastard. So we call it on the radio. We got the robot, the RPA is coming over to help us look for it, We've, and it's it's daytime. And I think I'm like, I think I even said it on the on the tapes because we got the tapes. I'm like, fire again, you fucking pussies! Because <laughs> you want to see that? Uh, you want to see that burst, right? From the uh, Because if you can see it with your eyeball, the cool thing is with the A-10, you guys don't know if you know this or not, we fly the A-10C. So we have uh, this monocle over our eye. Yeah, cool. This helmet mounted sight. So when I'm looking outside, there's a monocle over my right eye, but it tricks my brain to think I can see everything on my uh, heads-up display and my movie map. Uh, So I look outside, see something. On my crosshair over my eye, I can quickly slave my targeting pod to it. So it'll just go straight to it. And oh, I can nice get coordinates, location. I can put a bomb on it, rockets, whatever, laser. So I'm just looking outside. I'm not even looking at the, the screens inside. I'm just like, come on, fire again, you fucking pussies. And I am just, I want to see that launch out of a tube so I can find this location. Sure enough, they do. And then at the same time, the RPA, uh, those guys are talking to me on the radio. They see it as well. They laze it. I, I do a laser spot and I confirm where it's at and, uh, shit. So we, I tell my buddy, I'm like, Hey, Greg, uh, he shot at you. You get the kill. Right. So it's I'm like, so here he goes. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm just watching them and sure enough, this guy, like, I'm like, Hey, he's backing into this building, but I'm lazing. You just hit this building. And then he's right there. It's, it's under this little overhang. Uh, it's this truck with his gun system in the back. So he's like, Hey, weapons away, 10 seconds, whatever. Uh, it hits. And he goes, "Fuck, duh, it duds." So literally, this guy runs out of his truck. You see his little white body in the in the in the footage, and there's this 500-pound bomb that hasn't gone off oh. sitting in his garage. Basically, <laughs> any normal human being is going to be like, "Thank God, there's my lucky stars." <laughs> you know, praise Allah, whatever, and just call it a day. This dumbass runs back into his truck, and he's and he takes off. Uh, at this point, I'm like, okay. Uh, I got him. So I start following him and, uh, I'm tracking him, you know, and he drives down this road a little bit and he drives into his grove and he he gets out and he starts running. I tell Greg, I was like, Greg, you watch him. I'm going to blow up the truck. So I drop my bomb. I blow up the truck and he's off in this field. And, you know, sure (laughs) enough, um, you know, Greg's like, I got him under a bush. So he, Greg lases for me and then I roll in and I shoot the guy. So the cool thing with the A-10 is we can do this thing where one guy, you might not be able to see where yeah. a, a person's at. a am single person, you know, from 17, 20,000 feet, but you can see that with the lasers pointing, yeah. you can just put your gun cross on that and you just hammer away. It was pretty cool. Uh, so we come off target and, uh, of course, you know, we check in, we're like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm below fuel. I need to go. Same thing with him. So we're, we're at a Joker Fuel. We're actually below what's called the Joker Fuel. It's time to go to the tanker. Uh, and we call up the controlling agency and they're like, Oh, your tanker got rerouted. <laughs> well, lucky. We had some bros. And I know, like I said, I'm friends with some tanker guys and yeah. they hear this. And they just like, Dude, we're doing like 0. 0.9 mock as fast as we can get there. So these guys show up to this tanker track, which is just outside of uh, syria it's right inside turkey so we just roll up there and uh we start getting gas and they're like what's going on i was like dude tune in this freaky listen to the whole thing um and and we'll see you back when we land because they're like living right next door to us you know uh we'll have some we'll have some uh, beers waiting for you uh, so literally my buddy hops on greg hops on to get some gas i'm take like i get on the boom and I'm flying the aircraft. I don't know if you've ever seen a video. I'll send it to you guys. so You can post yeah, this little sure video or whatever. Yeah, fuck yeah. It's from my aircraft. It shows the boom. Yeah. You know? So, because there's a camera right on the heads up display. I'm flying the aircraft, getting gas, and I'm riding down a nine line. And I check in and I know the boom operator. I know the guy. He lives like two houses down from us on the same base. <laughs> and I go, hey, he's like, what's going on? I was like, hey, dude, listen to this freak. I can't talk right now. I'm on another radio. we got four radios in the A-10. And I'm listening to the JTAG. He's like, that town is heating up, the one you were just at. where you shot that guy, it's like the hornet's nest. So sure enough, I take down this nine line. I take down the next nine line. Greg's on the boom. I was like, hey, I'll send you these points. The cool thing is we can send it all digitally. We have a data link. While he's on there, I'm sending it to him. So we come off the tanker, and I go, 90 left. Arm up your weapons. 90 left again. One, two, three. We both drop bombs. Two bombs come off, and I go, dude, great, spiral down. He spirals down, and it's basically a shooting fest for the next half hour, 45 yes. minutes. Oh, fuck and yeah. then he's down low, so he loses line of sight because of radios and all that, right? Um, and all he doesn't know. He can't hear what's coming on, but all he says is turn on your Maverick power. So he's like, yes. So literally, uh, I have him turn on his Maverick, and uh, one of the last things we do is – we shoot one of his Mavericks like right down the alleyway into this garage where like the six to nine of these guys had kind of congregated, and uh, it just looks like you know it's black and white on our screen, but if you can imagine it, it's like yeah. it all turned kind of pink and yep. for a minute, yeah, yeah, and it was just ISIS guys. Uh, going into where they need to go get this this earth, right? So <laughs> yeah. that was a good sortie, man. And uh I don't know if you need a <laughs> a break from that one. But nah, it nah,
1: like, uh, <laughs> we
2: love
1: the next
2: one is from this this one right here. Yeah. So this shell. Uh so I'm with another guy this with this intense pilot um uh, uh he's just a great guy and uh his call signs rage uh because right. he's, he's the type of guy when he drinks he just rages a bit he's another Jesus he's a wrestler Christ. like me so i would say that our, we, our deployment we probably had a few beers and wrestled in the grass a few times because that's what you do when you yeah when you have a little bit but uh he's just a great guy to fly with i learned a lot from him he was a weapon school guy and uh just an instructor there And anyway we're, we're taxiing out so what you do is before you take off you get all you know, start it up. You call over SATCOM and you say, hey, is there any change to our mission? You know, and you got a mission because you show a couple of hours prior to taking off and the intelligence guys give you a mission. Uh, And we were supposed to be going this one location and they say, yep, call ready. So he grabs your pencil and he starts writing. You got a new you're going to a new tanker, blah, blah, blah. And uh, we were supposed to be up in Syria and we get retasked to go all the way down to Fallujah. So this is the end of June uh, in 2016. So you guys can give it a Google if you want. But uh, there's a, a convoy that uh, left uh, Fallujah. It was about uh, three to 400 vehicles is what the open source guys were saying there. So we'll go with those numbers. Yeah. And uh, you know, half the convoy got sorted by the uh, the Iraqis and the other half got sorted by uh, our two A-10s and two A-10s after us. So there was a gunship there and F-15, but uh, the majority of, the, of God's work was done by the, uh, the hogs that night. Yeah. And yeah. I will say that uh, the very first pass, I drop two thousand pound bomb, five hundred pound, five hundred pound, lays another five, four bombs, boom, off right away, and we we're just gun runs, gun runs, yeah. and uh, so I come back and how many vehicles did you get? I don't know, 20, 30, maybe. And I think by the end of the night, you know, it's uh, we look at the film with all the secondaries and stuff, it's just crazy stuff, man. So it's good, yeah, good time in there.
1: No, that's the fucking awesome, mate. <laughs> Holy fuck! <laughs> yeah, so, uh, that, mate, that's God's work. Yeah,
2: so I have these least shells here, man. So good mission so we obviously uh come back and uh, had them made into shot glasses and i think i had a bunch of them cut into coins for guys as well
0: yes yeah,
2: so, good times <laughs> that's,
0: that's, up, that's, that's dead so, you know,
2: ISIS i just if anybody's listening to me and wants to come take revenge fuck it bring it yeah. i'm like one of those guys that, like, <laughs> you know the security guys at the base were like oh hey i don't know it's not it's not cool right now to fly a flag outside because people might be uh not into that right now i'm like Fuck you, bring it, man! I got hands
0: yeah. and a big dog. Yeah, I've, so fuck exactly, fuck them. Come get us, come get. I'll, I'll tell you where I live. You yeah. dogs, <laughs> <laughs> dog ass cats. <laughs> now that's awesome, man! Like we've been speaking for a good hour and a half. It's man. been and epic. Th- those oh, two shit, last, man. yeah, no, uh, it's hey, been
2: edit this, edit the bullshit out. No, yeah. no,
0: nah, nah, mate. I'll be keeping it all. Nah, we'll do the and whole. Especially whole thing. those last two stories. That's a good way to, you know, to top it off. Top oh, it all yeah. off. But Sorry um, enough. just for our guest, mate. Like uh, we'll start to tie it up. So um, we run with two final questions with, for our guests. And, uh, one question is, you know, what advice can you give to people? Obviously you've had a fucking hectic career. You've been, you know, top of the game of the PJ, then, you know, now you're just destroying ISIS with, uh, the you know, in the, in the hogs. And, um, yeah. you know, if, to have that type of, um, skill and experience, you know, you, you needed that dedication to complete you know, your training and all that type of stuff. So what advice can you give to people to complete their goals?
2: Yeah, I would say that uh, for everybody out there, um, you know, just don't fucking, first of all, you know, nothing's impossible, right? You know, obviously don't, don't let anybody tell you no. Uh, I like, uh, I've been on PJ selection boards and I've been on pilot selection boards and, you know, just other things I've done as well as far as, you know, interviewed a lot of people. And I will tell you, you get some people don't think they're they're counted out. So don't cut yourself out. Uh, for anything just keep trying and and don't look at the I mean recognize your overall goal whatever it is you want to fly you want to be a special operator whatever you want to be you want to be a painter but uh you know kind of set baby step goals along the way and use those as markers to kind of assess yourself right so you you don't you know how do you eat an elephant you know one fucking bite at a time right mm-hmm. you don't eat the whole elephant right so you're just gonna eat you I'm gonna get to this goal today you know I'm gonna be a PJ I want to be a special operator well you're not gonna go out and swim you know, four thousand meters and six miles today. Well, hey, today I'm gonna to run a mile, today I'm gonna to swim five hundred meters and just do that with everything you do. You wanna be a pilot, you wanna you wanna go on and do something like that, you want to engineer, whatever. You know, you gotta knock out school first and hey, and don't look at it as damn it, fuck it. Can eight years to be a doctor. No, look at, Hey, the first semester, I got to get through chemistry. Exactly. You know, I got to get through this yeah. first class, it's good just loss. do the best. you. I, I talk to a lot of kids who, uh, who, who want to be pilots. Uh, and specifically to them, I say, what are you doing right now? What is your job right now in the air force or whatever it is? Well, I'm a security forces guy. But I want to put my package in. I was like, okay. And I tell them all the steps. Because you need to have your degree and be a pilot and get some hours and get a recommendation. I go, but the first thing is you want to be really good at your, your job you're doing right now because you know you can't suck at your your current job and then think you're gonna go on and be better at your next job, right? So just do the best you can at what you're doing, you know, make make the best of what you've got and uh, you know, have a positive attitude in everything you do. That's yeah. what I would say. Yeah, awesome. so attitude is goes a long way, right?
1: Yeah, of course. That's good advice, and now the last one. What do you have planned for the future?
0: Obviously, you're still a current A ten pilot, so you're still yeah, still so serving. I'm
2: a, I'm a current A ten guy. I'm uh, I do scheduling stuff here, and obviously, I'm a Sandy one, so rescue mission commander and instructor pilot here. So I'm just uh, you know, probably going to retire, obviously, here in the next couple of years or so, but. Uh, I don't know, man. I was thinking about working for uh, two Ravens, you know, doing some
0: yeah, man. (laughs) Hey, um, come come,
2: Spencer. This I don't know. (laughs) You know, a lot lot of our guys go fly the errands, but uh, you know, we'll see. Maybe that. uh, Maybe you know. Maybe I did some contracting for a while. I'm the type of guy. I just want to. I want to be impactful. Whatever I do, it needs to be significant, right? So I don't. You know, I can't see myself being uh, you know some mundane job. And I know it's it's for some people, it's just not for me. Uh, And it doesn't mean I have to be like you know, running and gunning, but whatever I'm doing, I want to be impactful, whether it's in the instructional role or I'm helping the next generation of, of some folk or, or I'm doing it myself or, you know, something like that. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. That's awesome, man. Yeah, fuck um, so yeah, you know, if, you know, you are still serving, so we're going to keep, you know, a lot of things uh, private, you know, essentially, but if people want to get in contact with you, cause you're mad into your fitness as well. Uh, you're on Instagram.
2: Yeah. Madman at madman fitness. Yeah. Yep. So if then, I just uh, want to
0: send a message, get him mad <laughs> team madman, is it <laughs> team Madman. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Check me out. Uh, so, yeah. you know, if anybody's interested in uh, directly being a pilot, you know, especially if like they're already in the U S military yeah,
0: uh,
2: and they're looking that way and they just want some advice, they can hit, hit me up, PM yeah. me or whatever. Um, also if you're looking at being a JTAC, so I just got to throw out a quick, uh, plug for my buddy, uh, Brock. So yeah, go uh, check it. him out. Uh, he's like dope products and stuff. He's a, uh, good J there. And then, uh, yeah, one's ready podcast, man. So obviously the dudes out there, you got a great podcast on how to be special tactics. If you're looking for, yeah, awesome. you know, they got a website as well. So they can tune into those guys. Uh, probably going to be on with those, those guys in a bit as well. So they do yeah, special it. warfare, which yep. is the Air Force side. Yeah, right. So I, I would definitely check those guys out.
0: Yeah, for sure. No, definitely will. Definitely will. Oh, fuck you. Well, um, mate, I appreciate you uh, giving us your time again, mate. And It's, it's, been, absolutely. it's, it's been awesome. It's been fucking sick. Yeah,
2: hour and a half, man, or whatever time it is, man. We just get talking. No. It's most, again, mostly me. Yeah, no, it's been <laughs> I good, stop man. Ya. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, no, I appreciate it. And uh, I guess we'll. Uh, We'll
1: catch up with we'll, you again. We'll keep in contact, and we'll speak. 100%. Speak soon. Absolutely, yeah, we'll do it again. Cheers,
2: mate. Cheers, guys. Cheers.
1: Madman, his call sign is Madman. Madman, a <laughs> T? How was that? Just the A10 pilot itself. It's or uh, well, the A10 sorry craft itself is just a. It's like it's been around. service, I think for forty years. You know. it's Yeah. On video games. Call of Duty, and it on. has that you know the distinctive, the distinctive sound. sound. Yeah, you know, what does he say? He shoots seventy rounds a second, and those those bullets for a thirty mil round for everyone playing at home. Like I've shot an animal with the um, just under eight millimeter round, and it just tumbles the pig around. Imagine shooting a human with a thirty mil round or shooting a car. Yeah, like. well, I'm sure. Like. You know, most listeners out there that listen to our podcast
0: have seen some of those videos yeah, on Live Leak. Exactly.
1: And, like Funker, Funker Zero. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, it's like, I'm not, I'm not saying it would, it would be like, fucking yeah, shoot him, but yeah, fucking shoot him. Yeah.
0: So, but but like, how about his story? You know, he spends, you know, time as a PJ, you know, throughout that early age of um, Afghanistan and. Iraq, yeah, Iraq, and you know he talked about picking up the first uh, first casualty of okay. Afghanistan, which he ended up dying as well. That um, the Lodi that was yes accidentally hurt himself, and the CIA, and then he picked up the first KIA. Sorry, yeah,
1: um, yeah the who, who C- CIA? Which sorry. is
0: CIA, um, Michael uh, Span, uh, which I'm gonna I'm gonna you know do a bit of research on this afternoon. Um, I, I, I remember hearing about it, but. And to the extent of the story, I don't really know, but you know, he gave a bit of an insight on it, and yeah. um, hectic, uh, hectic stories as a PJ, yeah. you
1: know.
0: Again, the, the difference between, you know, him and Mike. You know,
1: Mike was – was all about saving lives, Mike, yeah, wasn't he? Mike was just – he, just, he just a happy so dude. So was Jason just, as well. Yeah. but He changed career. And yeah. like, we actually had to stop it short. We'll talk for an hour and a half. And he had so many more stories about um, being being an A10 pilot, Constant stories. We actually had to shut him off. It, yeah. <laughs>
0: a bit to, um, you know, just speed it up a bit. Because, yeah, I, there's definitely a part two with uh, Jason because um, – <laughs> Hectic stories and he's uh, basically said to me too, he's like, you know, if you guys ever come to the US and turns out funnily enough, I am heading to the US within a couple of weeks uh, for a few months and he's like, We'll take you out to range, and he'll jump in an A ten and just tear up shit, and-, and we'll be on the ground cheering. <laughs> I'll be on the like I'll, I'll be like a yeah kid at a candy shop. Uh, I reckon like it'll be just hectic, and he'll get us in the in the A-10, um, A, sim- a ten simulator. simulator. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna tear up some virtual ISIS. That's for sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 you know what's funny though? It's like how many Australian pilots, like RAF pilots, have like probably even dreamed about flying an A-10 or being close to near one and yeah, you and yeah. I get offered to like go over there yeah, and fucking and jump
0: in a, a cigarette
1: fucking smell the seats are <laughs> <you're> sitting in
0: <laughs> I'm pumped for it so um, but yeah hectic story hectic story and uh, I guess Great if too. you want to get in touch with um,
1: A.T. His Instagram handle is uh, team underscore madman. He will also be tagged in our posts. Um, but yeah, he's he's a great bloke, and I'm sure he's, he hasn't written a book yet. He's still serving, but it says when he's finished serving in the USAF, Australia, uh, United States Air Force, yeah, he will, he'll publish a book, I suppose. Yeah. But, so
0: yeah, again, if you want to get in contact, with him, get him through his social media. Ask him what you know, what you want, especially if you want to get into becoming a pilot or, or
1: or a JTAC.
0: or so, JTAC. Yeah, especially yeah, with his JTAC. So mates.
1: if you're an Australian. Um, budding Aviator, you know, I'm sure he would give you some pointers, he would give you some tips or just some yeah, to the extent
0: of where he can. Is, yeah. you know, again, he is current serving. Um, if you want to get onto our podcast, obviously, you can head to our website, um, www.zerolimitspodcast.com. Uh, otherwise, head to Spotify, do the same searches through Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, all those good Stitcher, ones, Stitcher, Amazon, whatever. Um, otherwise, again. Social media obviously is Instagram, Linktree, yeah, ready, link tree, yep, ready to go at your fingertip through your phones, uh, Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, you know, uh, shoot us a, a message through um, Instagram or Facebook yeah. and uh, get in contact. Um, or uh, well they call it through the websites? What do they call those things? What, what are you talking about? You know, when you contact someone through a website. Inquiry form? Inquiry form. Do we have one on our
1: website? Yeah, there is. there is. There is. But if you have someone in mind that you want us to chat to or you think might, might be cool, um, it could be yourself. Just, just drop us a line, yeah. you know? You yeah. don't have to be a hectic global seal, Delta Force yeah. fucking well, skin diver. But if you are, even better.
0: Fuck, if you are all yeah. those three
1: things, yeah. you will come yeah. at me.
0: We are looking for astronauts. If <laughs> anyone is out there who's an astronaut, we've been denied by a couple. Yeah. <laughs> they
1: don't want to speak yeah, to us, us to which, is, which
0: is weird. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, we'll catch you in the next one. Legends. Wait, wait, wait. Now, quickly, just before you go, I want to tell you about Three Zeros Coffee. Now, as you know, I like my coffee how a lot, my men. Long and black. <laughs> However, lately, I've moved into the cold brews. I'm loving it, obviously, because the weather here in Australia at the moment is quite hot. So what I've been doing is using the Season campaigner, pour over filter bags, literally rip open the packet, put the filter bag over my coffee mug, a few ice cubes, pour in some hot water, let it cool down, add a sugar or two just to make it sweet, and... I fucking love them. Honestly, you get the kick that you need out of the caffeine and the taste is great. So if you want to get yourself a supply of coffee, head over to 30scoffee.com.au. From there, you can choose whatever you want. You've got the beans, you've got the pour over filter bags, got some merchandise. And just to let you know that a percentage of their sales is forwarded to organizations that support first responders. So while you're getting your coffee, you're doing a good deed by getting some of this money to the first responders and where it needs to go. While you're there, don't forget to use the discount code 3ZLIMITS. Now look in our buyer, you see that discount code, use it, get your discounts. So again, jump onto 30 and grab yourself a supply.